It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 160. Coming up on this week's show, an interview with ESPN's top soccer producers, a look ahead to this season's MLS coverage, our favorite games of the week, plus we have letters from you, uh, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, alongside Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, um, from this past week, it's been a crazy week actually, so we've, um, anyone that's been uh, listening to this podcast stream as well as uh, visiting the website, we've had a ton of interviews, um, Nate Abarea uh, did a great interview uh, this past Monday with Derek Ray, uh, the one and only commentator that's on the Heart of the Game uh, podcast, which is part of this stream. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we interviewed uh, Marisa Du and Tim Howard and Stu Holden. Uh, those interviews you can find on the worldsoccertalk.com website. And um, in the next, probably by the end of the weekend, we'll have a couple more interviews posted too, which is going to be uh, an interview with the two Robbies and Kyle Martino uh, talking about NBC's coverage as well as uh, getting to know them a little bit better. It's it's been uh, interview crazy. And any interviews, Kartik, that uh, if you had a wish list of uh, an interview, uh, someone to interview um, that we haven't done so far, who would it be and why? I guess probably Gary Neville, uh, because he's got a lot of kind of intellectual, more intellectual insight into the sport. Uh, I th- historically, you've had a lot of British commentators who are not. Uh, who are not articulate and intellectual and not really kind of um, looking at bigger pictures and bigger themes in the sport. I think the other one would be Gary Lineker. It'd be one of those two. It, it's interesting, though, with Gary Neville, because with Gary, I mean, a scholar of the game, a fantastic player uh, and a great broadcaster. But um, as far as I know, I mean, little, like no connection to the United States of America. Not, not that there has to be one, but... I mean, I, I haven't heard him talk about players from Major League Soccer. I haven't heard him, I mean, any any reports of him coming to the U.S. on vacation or or any any utterance of the words USA. Maybe during a past World Cup, but um, for me, that that's interesting. Gary Lineker, yeah, Gary Lineker would be uh, mean, a fantastic. Uh, I think more of a worldly person, someone that's kind of uh, keeping a closer eye on what's happening around the world in terms of soccer. 
Uh, yeah, either of those would be great. Maybe you never know, Kartik. Maybe in the future we'll get uh, an interview with with those two chaps. Uh, maybe this summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that makes Gary Neville really interesting for me is his dad was a uh, uh, played in cricket league. Uh, his mother was this club secretary for years of Bari, uh, who just well, we know they've been in the news a lot. Uh, but she was a club secretary. He also uh, is a guy that. Uh, built an eco-friendly home, his house, uh, which is in the Bolton area, Greater Manchester. So I, to me, he's just kind of a little bit of a renaissance man when you compare him to a lot of the other people mm-hmm. who commentate on football. And and Gary Neville's father's name is, do you know? Neville Neville. That's right. <laughs> that, that's, that's, yeah. that, that always, that always is, uh, I don't know, that, that's, I mean, it must be easy to remember. Uh, and as a kid growing up, it must have been easy to spell in class, but Neville Neville. Uh, is his name. But uh, yeah, yeah, you never know. So stranger things might happen in terms of uh, some interviews coming up. Um, now, from this past week, uh, actually, come, well, coming up in this interview, in this podcast, we do have an interview with uh, ESPN's top soccer producers that go into depth about uh, what it's like to be producing soccer games and uh, all the technology that's available, how things have changed over the years, uh, whether it's easier or harder to uh, go ahead and produce games when you have more cameras and more HD and fiber and all the the technology available, or does it make it actually harder? So we'll get to that in a little bit. But first of all, Kartik, let's dive into your favorite match from this past week. And my favorite match was actually a women's match uh, on the FA player. That's how you have to watch it in the United States between Manchester City and uh, Chelsea. This was a match uh, at the top of the table of the WSL. It was a fantastic back and forth 3-3 match. Great, great action, a good interplay. Uh, and uh, the title is still hanging in the balance. Uh, this was a six-pointer and uh, the teams ended up splitting the points. So that was actually, to me, the most entertaining match of the week and the best match I watched. And the WSL, which I try and keep tabs on and try and watch and and probably do more of it during international breaks if i'm honest with you uh during men's international breaks uh is uh is an entertaining league and i would encourage people to check it out it used to not be accessible in the united states but now uh with the fa player app on your uh on your on any device right on your uh, android your ios etc uh it is it is easy you just have to um you just have to give your you just have to register and then you're, you're eligible to watch the matches yeah, and it's free, no paywall. Uh, right, that's what I meant. <laughs> how about that? You, you mean that's uh, these days? It's so hard to find even written content that that's free, um, you know, and it's not behind a paywall. And, and here you have, uh, you mean some top class league games uh, from from the UK for free, which is great. Um, in terms of my favorite match from this past week, um, actually, it's funny too because the Real Madrid Man City game uh, happened at the same exact time as I was doing the the uh, interview with the ESPN. So I didn't get a chance to watch all of the match. I did watch, uh, I think, most of the second half. Uh, a great game, a great result. Uh, I think it was Guy Mowbray and Alan Smith on the commentary. Uh, a very pro English. Uh, commentary on this one. I'm sure a lot of the, the Real Madrid fans were probably not too happy with the English language broadcast of this. Most of them probably watched it on uh, Unamas and uh, Tuduene. But um, a, f- a satisfactory result there. But I wouldn't call that my favorite game of the week because I didn't get the chance to watch all of it. My favorite game of the week was uh, Liverpool against West Ham United on uh, Monday with uh, Peter Drury and Jim Beglin on the con- uh, on the call. This uh, second half was fantastic. West Ham really went for it. 
Uh, it looked like there was an upset uh, on the cards. Um, but this was a great example of, of a game that um, not only was entertaining, but Peter Drury's commentary was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, we hope to have him on the uh, the Heart of the Game podcast in the next few weeks. But uh, just a, a perfect example of how the uh, the commentary matched the game in terms of the excitement levels and uh, really quite enjoyable second half to watch there. That, that was my favorite uh, from this past week. Kartik, uh, we watched a lot of other things too. I mean, the Bundesliga, championship games, uh, of course, uh, UEFA Champions League, uh, Serie A, you name it. It's lots and lots of games from around the world. Uh, I listened to, this past weekend I was traveling a lot, so I was listening to a lot of the, uh, the Premier League matches on TalkSport Radio. And... I- I just do not like the, what they do with it. It's just like when you listen to, say, BBC Radio 5 uh, radio commentary of the Premier League matches, uh, actually one of the ones I listened to this past weekend had Alan Green on, um, and Alan Green's not as good as he used to be uh, by any means, but he's still better than what Talk Sport Radio does. Just a couple of examples. Uh, I listened to the Man United uh, Watford game on Talk Sport, and uh, it sounded like which was very, very apparent that these the, the two commentators that they had were calling the game off a monitor uh, in a studio, probably in London. You had very, very little crowd noise. Um, and then the other thing, too, from this past week, I think I was watching or listening to, I think, Arsenal against Everton and um, on, on the uh, Talk Sport 2. And, and the commentator was describing what he was seeing on television, so he would say, for example, look at that cross or look at that, that shot on goal. And, and you're listening to this on radio and you, you can't see the visuals. That's the whole point of listening, listening to it on radio is that you want the co-commentator or the commentator to describe exactly what's happening rather than saying, look at, look at what just happened. And we can't see it. And, and to me, it's a, just a perfect example of um, while well, TalkSport has a fantastic idea of bringing these Premier League matches and putting them on the radio and making them available worldwide and also having a lot of uh, interaction with the, the listeners uh, from around the world, a lot, of, a lot of them from the United States, a lot of them from Africa, where they're sending in or tweeting in questions or comments. And, and it's a great community there. But the quality of the actual commentary is, is really, really poor. Uh, at the end of the day, there's nothing else available other than that. So it's, the, it's probably you know, the, worst, uh, the, the, the best of what's available, but th- that best is, is, is not good at all. Hi, right, Kartik. Uh, we're going to skip over the TV streaming news section this week, and we're going to skip over the TV ratings, and we're going to go right into the listener mailbag. And uh, how about uh, for a change, Kartik, uh, how about you go ahead and read the first one uh, from uh, For the Culture? Yeah, so for the culture, uh, who's very active on Twitter, really good follow, by the way, if you want to follow for the culture on Twitter. Regarding BR, TNT's Champions League coverage, I think the atmosphere is far too casual for the competition. It almost gives a vibe similar to the old ESPN2 when they wouldn't be in business attire. I think you can get away with that in the group stages, but come the finals, uh, um, and especially the final, I think he means the knockout stages, they mean the knockout stages, 
put on a suit at least. Also, it feels like they're tapping from a broom closet. Would would love to get them some space, but we likely won't get to see this since they lose UEFA after next year. Uh, that's a great observation about the old ESPN2. When ESPN2 launched in 1993, the idea was to make it kind of fresher and hipper and cooler than uh, the mothership, than the, the, the flagship ESPN. By 1996 or uh, 97, they had dropped that completely, and it just became another linear channel uh, that they were uh, programming uh, overflow stuff on. <laughs> and, yeah. and as we know, it's virtually – by by that time and by the year 2000 became virtually indistinguishable from uh, from the uh, main ESPN. But that I, I get that point. Maybe that was 1993, 1995, that time period. Now it's 2020. Maybe it's it's a different uh, uh, demographic you're going after because it's, it's a quarter century later. But, uh, yeah, I, I totally get what he uh, what they're saying. Yeah. And for the culture says um, it feels like they're taping taping from a, gr- a broom closet. So yeah. um, one of the things I, I, I did last week was I, I took some video. I took some video of the studio at Turner Sports, the control room, the you know, the outside of the building, just to give uh, listeners and viewers an idea of what the actual atmosphere looks like. Um and to give us an idea of what it's like to be inside uh, Turner, Turner Sports' studios uh, covering the UEFA Champions League. And uh, when For the Culture says it feels like they're taping from a broom closet, I'm not sure if he means um, the studio, because the studio actually is large, very, very large. Uh, it's bigger than the SNL set uh, in New York City. Uh, it's actually very, very big. Um, the control room is large. Uh, and then the, the commentaries are done uh, on the world feed. Actually, no, it's not world feed. It's um, BT Sport uh, feed from the UK. And those, to me, sound sound great. It doesn't sound like they're taping it from a broom closet. You hear the, the noise of the crowd. You hear the commentators. And it's a good mix between the two. So I'm not sure on that, on that comment. But, um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, some good feedback there in terms of... Uh, it is very casual. It, it, and, and in those interviews that we did this week with uh, Stu Holden and, and uh, Tim Howard especially, they talk about what the difference is about uh, TNT's coverage. And, and who they're going after in terms of uh, and why they do things a particular way. Uh, if you get a chance, read that interview. It'll go into a lot more detail ab- about that and may answer the question in regards to uh, why they are more of a casual uh, vibe rather than a business attire. Next up is Blue in Brazil. And this one's a good question, Kartik. I, I don't have the answer to, but I'm not sure if you, if you will either. But uh, Blue in Brazil says, only just discovered you on Podbean and enjoy working my way through the episodes. Any tips on where to listen for information on downloading games like NFL Game Pass, please? Based in Brazil, regularly travel to Europe, support Everton, Blue Heart, limited Wi-Fi most days. So that's a good question in terms of being able to actually download games to to watch. Um, I mean, Kartik, I'm sure you've done this too. Like like when we've been traveling and we want to go ahead and watch uh, movies or documentaries or TV shows on uh, on Netflix, you can download those episodes yeah. and watch them even if you don't have Wi-Fi. As far as I know, I don't think that's available as a feature uh, anywhere because usually most matches, like a Premier League match, for example, 
uh, is very restricted. Even NBC is restricted from um, the amount of time that they can go ahead and broadcast replays of that game. So um, they have a short window of time if they want to go ahead and uh, replay that. They can only replay a certain number of games. They're limited at that. Uh, It is really mostly about the live experience. So as far as I know, there's no way to download games. It, it, does, it doesn't have to be the Premier League. It could be other, other leagues too. Have you, have you seen anything uh, like that? that, that where you can, uh, legally, I guess, is, is the key here. Legally download games? I, uh, I want to say I've uh, I poked around. And, and I, I know I've tried to do it and, and couldn't. But I, I want to say I poked around and, and thought there was a way to do it. I don't want to give Blue in Brazil any false hope. But... Uh, Definitely, when I've gotten on airplanes, which I, I, I travel fairly frequently, I've tried to do it. Uh, and I, I and maybe it was documentary series. Maybe it was like the Dortmund documentary or the Sunderland documentary. Come to think, but maybe it wasn't actually a live match, right? Um, or or a previously live match. Uh, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll look into this further, though, for sure. Yeah, so stay tuned. Yeah, DV, DVRs. I mean, you, I mean, Fubo as an example, or Sling TV. I mean, you can DVR games and then watch them on demand later. Um, but downloading, yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Anyway, it, it, listeners too, if you have any suggestions or ideas, let us know, uh, and contact us and we'd love to uh, share those, uh, those revelations there. Next up, Kartik, and this one is my, uh, letter of the week. It's from, uh, Jeff Narabuk and Jeff says, could you give listeners a rundown on two things? One, are tactical cameras here to stay or passing fad? Uh, do any leagues regularly offer a tactical camera for for American viewers? I think this is a, this is a tricky one, but too because these have come and gone. So, for example, yeah. when NBC Sports, uh, the NBC Sports Live Extra, what it was called at that point, uh, when they were broadcasting uh, the Premier League, uh, on, oftentimes on, on weekends we would get a tactical cam as one of the options to go ahead and select if you wanted to see. I don't know, Old Trafford, as for example, you see a wide cam behind the goal and. Uh, you'd be able to look at the field of play in a completely different way um, than the actual uh, broadcast itself. The, 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 only, the only negative about that is that you didn't have the commentary. If you were able to mix the commentary with that uh, that tactical cam, that would be the perfect marriage because you'd be able to still enjoy the game, but from a completely different angle, a different view. Uh, we've seen this, I think, for the World Cup. I think Fox has done that too on their Fox Sports Go or Fox Sports dot com app where they've had that um i know for example that uh when nbc sports goes ahead uh each weekend and is analyzing games they have access to tactical cams but again this is people behind the scenes uh, the carl martinos the two robbies of the world uh looking at the tactical cams that may or may not be available to the actual users or consumers like ourselves what do you think, Kartik? Do you think it, that they're here to stay, or, or is it a passing fad? I think it's a bit of a fad. I mean, I think they come and go, these sorts of things. And even in American sports, the limited American sports I watch, I see they come and go. And they're always kind of new innovations that um, that come. I mean, one of the things that I, I actually, this is a little bit off topic, but I've, I've thought about recently and maybe write about soon is, why does NBC Sports not offer the, the tactics session regularly on their their bumper programming why is it uh on uh on youtube exclusively uh, the Kyle martino and and uh, robbie musto so i um 
I, I think that this is kind of a, a fad in terms of um, of how. Uh, I, there are always these different, like, remember the ESPN access, mm-hmm. that thing? Yep. These things always come and go. And then there were, uh, I remember when um, for college football, ESPN was employing uh, full full feeds with drone shots. And that kind of came and went. Um, so, I, yeah, I think they're fads, but the fads continue. So there'll be something like the tactical cam or some variation of it that pop up pops up next. Yeah, I agree on that one, Kartik. I think it, it is a fad. It's um, in some ways for for the actual broadcaster, it takes away from the number of people watching the main feed, um, whether it's a stream, stream or if it's on, on television. Um, it, it is a fad, and it, and it really is more so for the. Uh, you mean if you're a coach and you want to look at the game and study a game. Uh, or if you're a uh, an analyst and you want to really dive deep into into the analyzing that game, um, those are the two kind of crowds that would be interested in this. For the most part, probably 98% of everyone else would have no interest in watching this other than kind of looking at it once in a while and go like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, but it doesn't really serve the consumer. So I, I, I think it's a fad too. Uh, number two from Jeff is, uh, when will 4K broadcasts become the norm? Have you found that 4K improves soccer viewing, or is it too subtle to make a difference? So absolutely, I, I think it improves the, the viewing ex- experience. It really, in terms of the, the quality and the clarity of the, of the picture, uh, bringing you in closer to that match. Uh, even if you stand close in front of the television, you're going to see the difference. Uh, HD is a perfect example too of something that has really helped soccer in many ways. I mean, now when we go back and, and we see a game in SD, it looks like we're going back in time. It looks, I mean, how, how did we watch soccer uh, before there was HD? Uh, so, so 4K is just uh, kind of a, another level above that. When will 4K broadcast become the norm? The challenge with this one is it keeps on changing. So this season, uh, the 2019-2020 season, I believe it's Comcast that has um, a lot of the games for the Premier League in 4K. Last season, uh, a lot of them were on Fubo. When I say a lot of them, it was usually maybe one game a week. And um, so it keeps on changing. So that's, that's part of the issue is that when will 4K broadcast become the norm? It'll become a norm when it's available to everyone uh, rather than going to specific uh, TV providers or streaming providers, which is just a small portion of the overall viewership. Next up is JB. JB says, uh, regarding the conversation on, on whether we watch a game for the club or the player, for me, it depends on the event. For regular matches, I follow for the club and style, but I watch Champions League for Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, etc. Ted Hill says, I'm not sure this is much of a question, but I was wondering if you could maybe share some insights or thoughts. I know Kartik often mentions, and I certainly agree, agree that that the ESPN FC show is one of, if not the best option uh, for football punditry here in the US. I try to watch the show on most days and will either watch it the following morning or maybe the evening it's released. My main gripe is that I never know when it airs or is expected to air. It seems like sometimes it's posted between 7 and 8 Eastern time, but sometimes not until later. Also, if I go to watch it while it's airing, it it spits me right into the live part of the show with no option to start from the beginning, at least on my Roku. I wish ESPN would let us know what time the show is expected to start or perhaps tweet out that information. Yeah, sorry, I was commenting while... 
you were reading Ted's message. Yes, you're preaching to the choir here, right? <laughs> as recently as, as yeah, as recently as last night. So um, if you if you get go on ESPN Plus at the wrong time and the show is being aired live, it just spits you into the middle of the show. Or um, if you click the on demand thing, there it's one of two things. You click it to be viewed on demand, and it just gives you uh, the 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 placeholder uh, logo graphic and, and the show is airing live uh, simultaneously or hasn't been uploaded yet it has aired live and hasn't been uploaded yet and so that's that that's a problem now if you have a reliable time in which it's airing and being loaded uploaded every night you can condition yourself okay it's airing between 7 and 7:30 i go at 7:45 it'll be on demand or i go go on at 8 it'll be on demand but it, it varies from day to day i mean generally the rule of thumb is that it gets uploaded sometime between 7:15 and 7:45 i would say but um, it's not universal so um, and and i would uh, Obviously, they sometimes air the show at different times based on whether there are mid-afternoon U.S. time matches, uh, be they in uh, the Champions League or in, in uh, a Bundesliga Friday games. They tend to wait till after those, uh, to, especially if Bayern or Dortmund or Leipzig are involved, or, or uh, Serie A has midweek games, that sort of thing. But it's generally the same amount of time. You can track it based on what our friend Dan Thomas on Twitter, when he puts his um, – puts his tweet uh, every day, which is, hey, any questions for Craig, Shaka, Ali, uh, Steve, whoever's on the show, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Don Hutchinson, etc. So um, that's – it's almost universally at the same time that Tom, uh, Thomas posts that tweet every day, uh, which I'm sure people who follow Dan Thomas, which I'm guessing is probably most of our listeners, uh, see. So this is uh, something that I think ESPN on the production side has to um, has to iron out because it is – Look, maybe I'm too too much of uh, an advocate for the show, right? Maybe I'm I, I, I'm an obsessive fan of ESPN FC, but I need my fix just about every night, and the time varies when I can actually watch it. Yeah, like for example, on the WorldSoccerTalk.com website, uh, we've got a a push notification option where the bottom right hand corner you can go ahead and uh, select that notification to be alerted when any 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 new podcast is released. Um, or any major story about you know, whether it's TV rights or an interview, um, some original content. And then as soon as that happens, um, you get notified through your browser, either on your mobile phone or on your uh, desktop or laptop. And uh, it'd be great for ESPN FC to have something like that, some alert system that says, okay, hey, you get a text or you get some type of notification as soon as each episode is released. But... Hopefully, I, I mean, I, I know that they listen to this show, so hopefully that's something they can work on in the future as far as some way to give people an idea of, of when it is released. Next up is Toffee Fever. If CBS were to make a huge splash for European soccer and international uh, competition rights in this n new decade, Ian Dark's ESPN contract is also up this year. I could see him donning the standard issue eye blazer. So... Yeah, good point there too, Ian Dark, um, whether that would be something he might be interested in if CBS wants to go down that path. 
Last but not least, Christopher says, Hi, Gaffer and uh, Kartik. With the start of the Major League Soccer season, it got me uh, to thinking about their use of the out-of-market rights for ESPN+. Do you think they will ever spruce up the production by having pre-post-game coverage on Saturdays and Sundays? Also, wouldn't it behoove ESPN and MLS to work in partnership on creating an online 24-7 network that shows games from the previous week on a loop along with whatever features uh, the teams locally produce for web and TV? ESPN should work hand-in-hand with the Bundesliga on a 24-7 stream of just Bundesliga content too. I get that all these league games are available on demand, but there is something to be said about having a dedicated place to go if you just want to watch games. Um, what do you think about this, Kartik? Actually, let me chime in on this one too, because um, Christopher may not know, and, and a lot of uh, listeners or viewers, uh, listeners in this case, may not knew, uh, know is that um, Major League Soccer has a channel on Pluto TV. Pluto, Pluto TV is a free channel. Uh, you can watch a ton of MLS content for free there. Now, they're not going to have uh, a lot of these games, um, but they might have some classic games. They might have some interviews, some some uh, pieces, some different segments. That's one place that you could kind of take some of these games and put it on there. The challenge I see, though, Kartik, is that uh, if you're ESPN Plus and you have the rights to, to a lot of these games... Um, you can put the, I mean, that, that takes away from ESPN Plus. Uh, you mean, if you have those games available on demand through Pluto TV. And then also the other thing, too, they're out of market. But um, if you're in a certain city and you're a TV company, company that has the in-market rights locally for that, uh, that game or that team, is that you're not going to be too happy if you find out that Pluto TV is showing those games for free. I mean, I don't know, the day after or something like that. So it, it, it's, I mean, I like the idea of having a 24-7 channel, but I would I would recommend checking out Pluto TV, which is available for free on Roku, on, on the web, on you know, mobile devices, and check that out because you can actually watch a lot of MLS content there for free. All right. So yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's a really good idea uh, if you can if they can invest in that. That's essentially you know a little bit different, but essentially what and and I know we've, you've got your interview with Amy Rosenfeld uh, coming up on this show that um, they did with the ACC and the SEC and Fox has done with the Big Ten and and the Pac-12 has done on their own. Uh, is create these these specific now those are linear channels right but create these specific content streams or networks based on a certain league preference and have uh, show classic matches show current matches uh, or recent matches or, or from the past week and then also a, a lot of a bumper programming magazine programming so I, I think the time will come uh, when MLS does that in on a bigger scale whether they choose espn to be the, be the one that helps them with that or fox although fox is, is kind of out of that business now fox has retreated from uh, most of this business and sold most of their assets to disney but uh i think it's an interesting concept and in terms of the bundesliga the bundesliga produces so much content mm-hmm. and chris you and i both know this as media members we get stuff from the bundesliga every week video stuff uh, yep. we just got uh, a sit down with holland right mm-hmm. uh, emailed to us the other day that I think they could actually they're actually really well positioned to launch it now that would have to be an American specific stream for them uh, I think they have the capability they may be the ones to do it first actually 
Yeah, I've watched, I mean, the Premier League TV channel overseas when I've gone overseas, and I love it. I mean, to me, it's got some great sit-down interviews. It's got some great uh, classic uh, footage, which which I know Christopher's into big, big time. Uh, also has some, I mean, ma- the match day has the build-up to the games, a lot of reporters. Um, so it can be done very well. I mean, to me, though, too, it, it's there's a value with that. There's There's a price tag with that, so... If it's uh, the Bundesliga wanting to do a 24-7 channel, who's going to pay for that? Same thing with Major League Soccer. And actually Major League Soccer, too, in terms of what they produce, um, not just through Pluto TV, but through the website, um, in terms of their social media channels. They have a lot of content there. Yes, it's not a 24-7 stream uh, other than the Pluto TV, but um, there's a lot of good content there. But yeah, good, good thoughts there from Christopher, definitely. And uh, listeners, if you have any good thoughts or any good questions or uh, anything that's been bothering you about the the TV streaming side of things in terms of soccer, let us know. We want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, um, we're now heading over to our interview. So this is the interview that we did with uh, Chris Alexopoulos um, and um, also Amy Rosenfeld. So Amy Rosenfeld is the vice president of production. She oversees the soccer production at ESPN and also the ACC network, which Kartik, you probably enjoy. Uh, She's the, the lead executive for content creation for both the soccer side at ESPN and also the ACC network. And Chris um, Alex, uh, Alexopoulos is the coordinating producer at ESPN, works a lot on the soccer and then reports into Amy. So here's our interview with ESPN talking about production of soccer. First question, and, and this is such a broad question, but I, I think it's a really important question. But um, for both of you, for both Amy and Chris, What's your philosophy on ESPN's vision for televising soccer matches? The actual kind of production, the feel. What's your, what's your vision of of what it should be and what what it what it could be? Well, it'll be interesting to see if uh, my colleague and I differ here on the visions. That will be a bad start if we have differing <laughs> visions. But you know, my my personal vision for what you know, I want ESPN soccer, what that brand should be, could be, is that we are at every turn trying to enhance the viewer's experience, but not get in the way of the viewer's experience. I think we're not always successful at that mission, but, you know, uh, Chris and I have been soccer fans. Like I, I, came out of the womb a soccer fan. So our job is to present the game as it is, like the the most wonderful sporting event, the most attractive athletic competition, and not try to screw that up. So I think that's, you know, where we try to be is that the game itself is so great that we don't want to screw that up. We always want to be additive with everything we we do. I think is the best way to to describe it. Once you know the viewer is uncomfortable 
we we got in the way. Everything should just be to elevate the experience, but not distract from how great the sport is in and of itself. Yeah, um, I agree. We both have 2006 World Cup experience sort of uh, as the starting point for what we've done since. Um, we both have that memory sort of in our head, um, you know, so everything that's come since then sort of has that respect for the audience in mind. Um, and I think the other big thing about it is that uh, there are no layups on anything we do. Every single broadcast of all the properties that we do have, nothing is like, oh, we're going we're gonna to blow that off or, you know, oh, we'll just throw whatever on it. Every single second, um, I think the, it's, it's – it's really, really important for us to, to take every advantage. I, I think we always look at it because we're at ESPN. So we're surrounded by people who are, you know, of all sports. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, when we're on Twitter and we're following soccer people and we're amongst ourselves and we're talking about soccer, you know, um, we're also interacting with, um, you know, people around the office who aren't thinking about it at all. So we're also always thinking about every single second that we're doing a broadcast, someone new is going to come and maybe sample that broadcast, whether it's MLS or whether it's a Serie A match in the morning, and we have to maximize every second. So I think that's the most important thing is like there are no times where we're not on our toes, uh, where we're not thinking of, again, how to engage the audience, but always with that, uh, what Amy's talking about is... Uh, not getting in the way of the broadcast. That's it, it tantamount for us. Now, now speaking of get, getting on someone's toes, but, but, but going back to 2006, just for a second here, it, it really in some ways was, um, from my, my perspective, almost like a wake-up call in terms of just some of the criticism, criticisms or just kind of where soccer was. And in 2008, the, the Euros uh, was such a, a change. It was such a... Really, it was a turning point to me in in the history of uh, soccer broadcasting on television. Huge changes, um, and in in terms of uh, more of a commitment to, I think, I think in many ways, kind of the the serious fan. Um, did you guys experience that the same way too, or what are your thoughts on two thousand six versus two thousand eight? No, that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, um, you know, a, a lot of us, Amy and I, were uh, in many ways. Um, part of the, you know, the machinery around it, I suppose, not necessarily always feeling that it was the right thing to do, but it was, you know, what our sort of marching orders all were. And when we went to 2008, it was a, we're, we're not dumbing it down anymore. It's ridiculous for us to continue to do this. Um, when Amy came into the leadership role on this sport, that was the, that was the big thing, um, was that we're not going to dumb it down. We're going to talk more we're going to be more tactical and less, um, you know, trying to, you know, like obviously draw, try to draw viewers in, which of course never works anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was the biggest thing. Uh, I, I think uh, announcer choices as we were headed toward 2010 was uh, really the most tangible aspect of it. In 2006, you know, we're all on big soccer, you know, getting trashed. We're seeing all of this as we're going along. And, you know, and the most common thing is, well, you got, you know, your announcers 
aren't working. You need to get someone like Martin Tyler. Well, that was the commitment that was made. We're going to get Martin Tyler. And we're going to continue that as we go through. So since, you know, that jump from 2006 to 2008, you know, we've, we've kept that. That's been a, a mantra that we've kept throughout. Now, as producers of soccer in the United States, and, and, and both of you having worked uh, for so long in, in this game, what would you say, how, how have uh, things changed since, say, 2006 and 2008 in terms of cameras, in terms of technology? When you're producing a game in 2020 for this upcoming MLS season, as one example, how different is that to back to 2006 or 2008? Well, I think, Chris, it's sort of twofold. I think one area, if we talk specifically about MLS, I think the type of investment that, that MLS has done, because Alexopoulos was, was just in a cradle, but I was producing the Revs, the Metro Stars in D.C. United regionally in 1997. So I know what MLS was then to now. And so the investment in the stadiums, camera positions at the stadiums, fiber install, um, and the support from the very top, from Don, to take chances with technology. And, you know, what, what we have found is, you know, now for, for the Euros, UEFA's, like, minimum camera on group stage, the minimum camera complement is 40-plus cameras. I mean, you're hard-pressed to find one blade of grass that is not going to have full camera coverage. So... You know, at this stage, now I think the audience has a level of expectation that we need to meet. How do we now provide that next angle without getting in the way, by the way? I mean, that's, that's you know, what we're always battling. More toys can sometimes mean more distraction. And so, you know, we listen, we listen to the feedback. Like, I will tell you that uh, I've worked in a lot of sports in my lifetime, and the soccer community is, is the most vocal, and I feel the most loyalty to that community. So mm-hmm. we hear about it, you know, when we get in the way or we mess something up or we're still working on fixing something. But the, the difference, the other difference is the investment from ESPN. And I will tell you that, uh, you know, those of us in the soccer community had some fear when John Skipper left because John was such a huge advocate of soccer. And we all, you know, huddled up and we were a little nervous about what that meant. Well, not only have we sustained the same level of commitment, we've surpassed that under our, our new ESPN president, not so new anymore, but Jimmy Patero has been an incredible support of all that we want to put into this. So we spend a lot of dough on these games, and rightly so, MLS specifically. Uh, And we take a lot of chances. We do a lot of R&D to, like, the goalpost cams are are a great example. That's an ESP-owned-created technology that required a significant amount of R&D and a significant amount of buy-in from from the league. So, you know, Don and his staff have a vision of what they want the in-stadium presence, presentation to be and the on-air presentation to be. So we're getting support from both sides, from the conference, and from the league, and from our own network. 
Now, as producers, with, with all these toys, whether it's uh, the fiber, the, all the cameras or the goalpost cams, when you're producing a, a soccer game, does that make it easier or, or does that make it harder? Uh, I, I think it's better. I, I don't think, I think the, I think the biggest difficulty, and you'll see this on broadcast sometimes, is that uh, uh, sometimes you'll see where um, a network has a certain amount of cameras on a regular season game. And this isn't just soccer, this is all sports. And then suddenly they go to a Super Bowl level um, complement. And the director and the producer can't handle the cameras and can't handle the replay sources. And you'll see mistakes early, even in a Super Bowl, you'll see, you know, some missteps. And it's a big jump. So part of the producing in terms of producing big events in what you're sort of talking about is that, you know, no, we've we've um, you know we've always had uh, eight cameras plus the POVs for our MLS matches, mm-hmm. um, and you after I'd say about forty to fifty games should be at that level where you can handle and internalize uh, all those angles. The director certainly can. The producer absolutely should be able to do that. Um, and then once you add, you can't add. Going back to the Super Bowl portion of it, you can't add uh, 10 cameras and expect to be at that level. But if you add one or two, you know, you have in your mind, where did the shot come from? How long did the play take? What's the crux of the replay that I'm trying to do? And in your mind, you know where the cameras are. And if you're implementing one or two, that's very doable. Well, I tell you, Chris, to me, the, the bottom line is discipline. The biggest challenge in these scenarios when you have a lot of bells and whistles and toys is the discipline to not overuse. And mm-hmm. so, for example, there are some things that, that Chris and I, Chris Alexopoulos and I, feel very strongly about, and, and that, like free kicks, corner kicks. We are really manic that, and it's, we're not always successful, but we're really manic that you can cut the cameras and, and do replays and do all those things you want. But we really believe, for example, on a corner kick, I, we want to be wide before the ball leaves the player's foot because there is a component where the viewer wants to see all the targets. Right. But like that's the thing that, that my late father would always get angry at me about when I would produce games. He would say, can't you just go to that wide camera? Why are you limiting? I'm not seeing what his or her options are. What are his passing options? So that's the example of getting in the way. You can cut tight shots till the cows come home, but the beauty of this game is the chess match that's going on on the whole field and choices that players make and don't make. If if I don't give you those visuals of what those options are, I'm cheating you out of the one of the tactical beauties of this of this sport. Now that spontaneous um, plays, whether it, it, it's a corner where you, you never know what's going to happen, it could be far post, near post, it could be a short corner, but for the viewer to be able to see kind of the, the width, to see the possibilities, um, and and then just to see the ball go wherever it goes, and just to watch that. 
the, the, the thrill, there must be a thrill in terms of producing these games and uh, having live moments, live sports. You never know what's going to happen, whether it's I mean, Zlatan or in a uh, El Trafico derby or whatever it may be. I mean, obviously, sometimes there's going to be boring games where nothing comes alive. But, but what is it like as a producer when there's that whole team effort, uh, so many people involved, and it comes off you know, amazingly, something better than you, than you can imagine? What is that feeling like? Well, I'll I'll answer first because uh, I remember for my myself producing World Cup qualifiers in places like Grenada, El Salvador, Guatemala City, Panama City, Trinidad and Tobago, Havana, Cuba, and for me the reward was always that you're you're doing a match in the case of these World Cup qualifiers that that mean everything. You're producing the matches in very challenging circumstances. Is the power going to stay on? Are we going to have cameras that work? Uh, are people are throwing things at our truck? You know all of these challenges, and you have the 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 most important game match on the calendar, that whole team, that whole crew coming together, whether you're the producer, the director, the runner, the production assistant, the camera person, that all coming together to be able to document and capture, especially when the U.S. would win, um, you know, it's hard not to be a fan there and feel very proud of the team, even though we're supposed to be neutral, of course we're rooting for the U.S., mm-hmm. But to be able to execute that production and properly document the match in challenging circumstances as a team, that to me was always the most rewarding part about my soccer producing career, which was back in the dark ages. I'm not sure we even had color TV then, but (laughs) that was my history. Zap, I don't know how you feel. No, it's, uh, it's it's like when you have one of your biggest broadcasts and it's a culmination of what you've been sort of training for for a couple of years. Um, when a big moment happens in a, in a big match and everyone in the truck, you know, is on point. So, like, I always think about the, um, the snow game against Costa Rica. I always think about two days later or three days later in Mexico, you're pulling off this huge broadcast in Azteca. I think our, our – my best broadcast, um, my favorite memory is the U.S.-Mexico game in Columbus where they qualified in, uh, in 2013. Um, and that one was one that, like you asked earlier about, a ton of cameras, a ton of uh, assets, um, you know, um, uh, a crew of 200 people, but a crew of 200 people where you knew most everybody's face. And you're doing long pregame shows and, and immediate postgame, and you have your biggest moments, but everything's sort of um, well within your uh, abilities. The camera people, the tape people, you know, those are the people who have to be right there with you. It's like, uh, you know, we're the figurehead sometimes, but, you know, you've got, you know, I know it's a little bit cliche to be like, oh, it's a team, but it, it is. Like, if your camera people, um, you know, aren't with the director in terms of a moment that happens and they're thinking about what the shot is that he's going to want, not the shot that he's going to ask for. If a tape person knows the exact correct cue point because you've talked about it a hundred times about, you know, no, don't go. I I want the pass from midfield that opens play up or, Mm -hmm. 
you know, that unlocks the defense. Like those are the conversations you have over and over and over again. And then when you can take it to the next level, which is to have that unspoken, you know, understanding with your color commentator uh, who can deliver, you know, the, 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 the words to that, which Taylor Twelman can, you know, I think those are like the times where you're, it's, it is exhilarating, whether the team won or lost, you know, that shouldn't matter. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're doing MLS cup, it's sort of neutral. It's a little bit harder with the U S men's national team, especially in world cup qualifications, but you have to, you know, stay level and, and stay on. So when all those kinds of things happen, which they, they did, for that 2013 broadcast, I think that's sort of what you're trying to get at with the question. One, one thing, Chris, that why I've always wanted to get you uh, to to a game and, and be in the truck, the, I may be biased, but in my opinion, soccer is one of the most challenging sports to produce for television because you do everything at your own peril. Because the, the play never stops, Every choice you make, what we always say to the team, our production team, what you are going to has to be better than what you're leaving because every, every decision you make. So let's say there's a shot on goal and then there's a really dicey takedown and, all, and play's still going on. And as a producer, you're lining up all of these big moments as replays. Well, at some point, you got to move on. So you're making these editorial choices. Okay, I've got three things that have happened and play hasn't stopped. What am I replaying? You know, when you make choices about graphics, we always say, I don't need to see a list of 30 graphics you've prepared for this match. I want everyone to be on board with three killer graphics that really advance the story for the viewer because you're not going to get that many bites at the apple. So you're making editorial choices in advance of the game. Anyone can go in with a hundred graphics for a baseball game because guess what? They're probably getting in because there's a lot of downtime to, to do things. Soccer is great because every choice you make has to be the best choice. And, And look, as when I was producing, I didn't always make great choices. You get a little like hung up. Okay, am I going to this? Am I going to this? And this is where Zop's right that your your analyst is that relationship between producer and analyst is so critically important because you want that analyst to say, move on from that. Let's go to this. That has to be a totally simpatico relationship because you don't want tailor to want one thing and the producers replaying something else. You can feel that, oh, there's two two shows going on, if that makes sense. You can always tell when a producer and the um and the color commentator are really, really, really excelling when the uh when the color commentator can telestrate uh and you're hitting freeze points and you're circling things. That's what that's the that's an that's a level that um is very rarely hit off of that point. Yeah, and, and that helps a lot too because it, it paints a picture. I mean, I mean, the listeners too. I'm sure we've watched. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands, of games, and, and, and we do see when it's done right. Sometimes it's so seamless that we don't even realize. But then maybe afterwards we, we think about it a little bit more. Um, but obviously, when it's done wrong, it's so blatant. It's so. I mean, you, you can see really kind of bad production or bad coverage, um, and it's, it just stands out uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty huge. 
Now, now looking at 2020, I mean, in, in previous years, we've had some highlights from Major League Soccer, uh, from ESPN's coverage, including the goalpost cams, which were really kind of a revolutionary step. Uh, we had the welcome edition of John Champion. But what, what about 2020? Um, anything new or any new developments that we can look forward to? Well, and uh, I believe that Major League Soccer has made this announcement that they, the league, they have partnered with a technology uh, called Second Spectrum, which is ultimately is a a tracking technology. And ESPN has utilized this technology on our NBA coverage. And uh, in my opinion, this, this has the potential to be really cool, not just for ESPN. This would be across you know, all networks really want to emphasize this is a, a commitment that, that the league has made that the broadcast partners will benefit from. On, honestly, we're going to learn a lot about this uh, all together, but it, it is an ability to get into sort of next level of statistical information because every single moment of a match, every movement, every movement of the ball, every movement movement of the players will be tracked, and that will go into uh, data points that the broadcasters can utilize. Now, here's a good example, Chris, of like you got to have discipline. So we've all said, okay, we don't want to flood with, 150,000 different data points for the viewer. This is where having a great analyst like a Twelman can say, okay, I've got uh, LA, I've got El, El Trafico. Here are the tendencies of those teams. Let's look at tracking these specific data points um, to try to either illuminate that statistically or explain why it's not happening. The next level of this is that it is eventually going to be almost like a live telestration where you can be showing the arc of the ball sort of similar to what you see in golf. You can see runs that are made. You can understand distance from from the goal. You can understand distance between the offensive player and the defensive player. So it's going to unlock a litany of information, and it will be up to all of us to figure out how do we show the discipline to reduce that down into manageable amounts. I think this will be really great for a show like ESPN FC, because Mm -hmm. after the fact, you can get really descriptive highlights with this advanced telestration or drawing or circles or arrows or arc of the ball speed of the ball, all of these things. So to me, that's an exciting new technology. And, you know, I think for, for, for Chris and I, we're very excited about year two of Champion and Twelman mm-hmm. because, uh, frankly, they exceeded expectations. It's not, you know, that, that chemistry doesn't just, you know, come overnight. And I think it really spoke to the two of them how they – they had worked together before, but not on a regular basis, how they gelled immediately. So now all of the unknowns for John are gone. He's moved to the United States. Mm-hmm. He understands the travel involved in the United States, which is significantly different than the travel within the Premier League. He 
really understands the 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 rosters, the key players, the history. So, you know, for me, you can have all the all the bells and whistles and technology, but for me, front and center, year two of a really tremendous partnership in the booth. Now, looking at uh, 2020, we also have two new expansion teams in Nashville and Miami. For, for new cities joining Major League Soccer, um, do you get a chance to do the any, any site tours of the new stadiums to get an idea of camera positions or uh, backdrops of the city? Or, or is that usually done maybe a day or two before um, going to televise a game from there? So uh, we actually haven't done that yet, but the answer is yes. So Miami, um, we have a... Um we have one scheduled uh, at Lockhart after the first Fox game on, uh, I believe, March 14. Our first match uh, in Miami is uh, in early April, the 5th, I believe. Um, sometimes it is best to uh, let somebody else break it first before you can go in and see it. We definitely um, want to be involved when a new stadium is being built in the process of um, – advising on certain things, um, how high the camera one position is, how high the high end zone position is, um, connectivity at certain points, sight lines for the booth. These things are really important in the construction stage. Mm. Uh, once the stadium has been built, we come back and there are its basic things like how long is it from where the bus drops off the players to the locker room to get shots of players arriving. Um, uh, what's the lighting look like inside the tunnel for when we uh, go into the tunnels? How much space is there for cameras and things like that? So yeah, the answer is absolutely. We, we do do a survey uh, leading up to those first broadcasts. Um, there's a, there are a million things uh, in, in boring stuff like, you know, connectivity, where you're you know, putting phone lines in, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, there is a comprehensive survey done before all those matches. So before each season, uh, from what I understand, the broadcasters meet with Major League Soccer and talk about ideas or talk about some of the goals for for the upcoming season. How much influence does, say, ESPN, a broadcaster, have on trying to push through some changes that would have a positive impact on maybe everything, whether it's calendar or whether it's the way that... uh, uh, games are televised or scheduled or any of those things. And, and what, what type of changes would you be recommending? Well, I think that, you know, this really is going to sound sort of basic, but we are all in this together. And, you know, and I include the other broadcast partners in this. I think we're all trying to figure out the calendar uh, we all have challenges with, you know, s- different sports that we televise and how that would work and what is the best way to uh, identify a calendar that that gets the best television windows for the broadest audience. I think there it was a big push um, to look at, you know, advantages and disadvantages of, of changing the calendar. The re-emergence of ABC for MLS, at least in in our family of networks, is really big. That was a great partnership with the the lead to identify matchups that would resonate and would work in certain time slots. 
I think that uh, it's fair to say that the broadcast partners have pushed and the league has responded that, you know, maybe not all teams are created equal in terms of, like, what's the visual experience in the stadium. So, you know, look, I'm born and raised in Massachusetts. I'm a diehard Reds fan. But that, you know, is not a as, as great an in-stadium visual as LAFC is. And part of this is not just capturing the play on the field. It's drawing in an audience to say, wow, look at this atmosphere. Look at how full it is. Look at this march to the match. Like, this is an experience. You want to be part of this. So I think that there was a time back in the day where every team needed to be on the air a certain amount of times, and I think we've all said, look, we want to put the best visual product, the best athletic competition on the network, all networks, the big networks. So how do we, you know, facilitate that? I just have to also keep coming back to you know, the partnership in terms of access. Like MLS has really tried to be at the forefront of access to the players, access in the locker rooms, uh, access for sideline reporters to, you know, be able to talk to people on the bench, like, you know, putting putting a, a microphone on a goalkeeper in an all-star game, having a referee wear a camera in an all-star game, you know, all of these things, that is a complete partnership. Like the league comes to the, at least they come to ESPN. I know they go, go to Fox and the other partners, but say, you know, what do you want? Give us, give us a wish list of the most important things you want. Look, not everything is, is doable, but they have shown a flexibility to really, identify areas that that will draw in more viewers to the whole experience. The game is great. The game is great. The game is getting better. There are better players. There's better depth. But there's also this component of wanting to make non-soccer fans see how cool the whole experience is, how, how the fans are so into it, the march to the match, all of those things. The visuals of that, to me, Whatever gets new folks in the door so then they can experience the great game is a win. Yeah, and having those moments where that access is allowed um, gives us the opportunity to, to see, I mean, Seb Salazar interviewing Bob Bradley on the pitch and, and getting Bob Bradley's kind of <laughs> interesting uh, replies to some of the questions that Seb had. But that was a great TV moment. That That's something perhaps in, in some other leagues, uh, they would have cut, cut to commercial and off they gone, uh, you mean, off they go, and we would have missed out on that. So th- that's a good example right there of something that, uh, as a viewer, as a neutral, is, is very engaging, very absorbing. You know, one thing that we talk about a lot is how is uh, XFL and what they're currently doing going to affect other leagues, other sports, and what they may either take leaps of faith with or what they don't like. So I don't know what I don't think we know positively or negatively in terms of access and sound on the field how that will impact. Uh, that'll be an interesting thing in terms of in terms of uh, access and, and getting inside the game. Uh, we we might coaches up during matches. 
um, when we feel it's a good coaching matchup with uh, with two coaches who are going to be very verbal. Um, but, uh, you know, the XFL has really pushed that, so we'll see. Last question I have, and in the future we'll, we'll do a Euro 2020 uh, interview where we'll go more in-depth, but how much like prep work and work has gone already, already gone into planning the Euro 2020 coverage? Can you just give us an idea of uh, what's already been done? Uh, I'll start. <laughs> um, I'm taking my fourth trip to London uh, on Monday. Um, so while we were not doing the World Cup, we were, um, we were in London uh, checking out uh, potential places where we could uh, have a set, a studio, um, amongst the size and scope that we've done in um, South Africa, Brazil, uh, and Paris. Um, so there's more to come on that, but I think it's been about a year and a half of hardcore looking at old broadcasts, uh, trying to nail down positions, um, and certainly working on trying to um, uh, uh, attract the best talent that we possibly could uh for the tournament so it, it's been it's been a year and a half at least now um and we're almost 100 days away yeah we look back i was thinking the other day when we had world cup rights and euro rights it just never ended and so you would literally be you know in the middle of a world cup and then trying to figure out where is your host set going to be for euros or whatever so you know, I feel for the for the Fox folks because I know how tough it is to sort of have that calendar. Um, my my colleague here had really took it on the chin because normally the two of us would be working on the planning a year out, and I had other responsibilities at ESPN, including launching a new network, the ACC network. Mm-hmm. So it's good that this is not a FaceTime. <laughs> a FaceTime uh, interview because Mr. Alexopoulos has, has lost a lot of weight and got a little more gray, and that's kind of my fault. Well, we'll give you a little teaser for the, for the Euro chat. Oh, boy. Uh, there will be some pretty significant changes in the cast of characters. Uh, exciting changes. Change is good. Change doesn't have to be scary, even though I tend to be a little scared of change but this all good but you know that that's a good little teaser for uh for the audience that i I, we've heard some speculation of names and we'll neither confirm nor deny on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) all right well we're looking forward to that right Excellent. Well, Amy and Chris, uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Major League Soccer season. Also, of course, we've got the She Believes Cup coming up. We've got, uh, I think, uh, USA friendly against uh, Netherlands uh, with the, with the men uh, competing. And of course, Euro 2020. So we'll have to have you on before that. And, and then next season, the Bundesliga. So a lot of things to look forward to. And I really appreciate you giving us the insight from the production point of view in terms of for the viewer to better understand uh, some of the decisions and some of the um, questions and thought process that goes along because it, it does kind of pull us into closer into, into the beautiful game. Yeah, and that's interesting, Kartik, at the very end where Amy lets out basically a hint, a big hint in regards to some of the names that could be, appear 
on the uh, Euro 2020 coverage this summer. And in a previous podcast, we did mention the names that have, uh, according to one of my sources, names that were under consideration to be on the uh, studio uh, set. And those names include Sir Alex Ferguson, Gary Lineker, and Gary Neville. So uh, any of those three would be a home run. Uh, All three of those would be just uh, out of this world in terms of just their level of knowledge. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if if, uh, ESPN gets uh, any of those three. Now, Kartik, heading into the next week of football, um, which one matches your must-see before we go? Uh, Okay, so it's coronavirus. um, (laughs) Coronavirus FC against... No, no, no. Coronavirus (laughs) asterisk, because I'm not sure. I I mean, I'm hopeful this match takes place, but obviously it's Juventus Inter. It's a Derby d'Italia. That's got to be the match this weekend. Uh, However... Uh, look, if so, let me give you a bonus. If it's not, if there's a if the coronavirus has that match, like so many in Serie A and Serie B canceled, then El Clasico. Yeah, but I'm, I'm planning on watching Serie A instead of La Liga during El Clasico. So uh, maybe I'm the exception. I know Chris, you pull, threw up a poll earlier in the week in World Soccer Talk about uh, I did. Interest- I did. Like, which which match this weekend was going to be the match that everyone was look for, looking forward to the most? Was it El Clasico? Was it the League Cup final, um, Kartik? <clears throat> Manchester City against Aston Villa? Uh, was it uh, Inter against uh, Juventus? Or was it um, one of the, uh, either the Nashville against Atlanta or LAFC against Miami in Major League Soccer? And uh, the winner was El Clasico, closely followed number two by Inter against Juventus. As of recording, Inter against Juventus is on. It's going to be played behind closed doors on yeah. uh, on Sunday, and it's going to be live on ESPN+. But Kartik, my match of the week, or the one I'm looking forward to the most, it's been a long journey, Kartik. You, you and I know this, but it's been 18 years since a Major League Soccer game was played in South Florida, and um, I was a Miami Fusion season ticket holder, a big fan of the club. And uh, Inter Miami is playing against LAFC on Sunday. I think it's right after El Clasico. But uh, this one for me is is going to be a really interesting journey, just because it's been so long—18 years. I mean, so I mean, that, that's it's almost. Uh, I mean, I have kids that are uh, have seen no Major League Soccer games in in South Florida because there's been no team to support. It'll be interesting to see how this team does because uh, there's a lot of question marks. Some of the people I talked to have said this is either going to be one of the best teams in Major League Soccer this season or one of the worst and uh, on the field. And we just don't know what that quality level is going to be like. So we'll see this uh, this Sunday when they play LAFC, um, after the, which may be a little bit tired after their game against uh, Club Lyon in uh, the CONCACAF Champions League. But... I'm looking forward to watching this one after uh, 18 years of, of no Major League Soccer. Well, no Major League Soccer in South Florida. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. It's available on practically every single podcast player that's out there. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik heading into another crazy week of football from around the world. What should they do? Enjoy your football.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.